the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Jesus had been working many miracles all around the area. The blind got their sight back. The lame walked. The demon-possessed were set free. The sick were healed, and the dead were raised back to life. Last we saw, a certain ruler of a synagogue named Jairus had a sick daughter on the verge of death. He begged Jesus to come heal her. While on the way, a woman who had a bleeding problem came and touched Jesus and was healed. Jesus then healed Jairus' little daughter. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Luke chapter 8 finished. We did it last week with some of the disciples. They are left outside Jairus' house with the crowd. And of course, the mourners and scorners business that lost their jobs after Jesus raised the daughter from the dead, they're outside too. And even though Jesus told the family to keep quiet about the fact that he raised their daughter from the dead, uh, news is going to get out when they start seeing her running around. And things are about to get crazy. So when Jesus emerges from the home with Peter, James, and John, I imagine he's hounded by everyone to come to my house, Jesus, come to my house, Jesus, next. And so he rounds up the other nine disciples to send them on an important mission. We've been given a mission too, right? To go into all the world, make disciples. Our mission isn't this mission. As we look at this mission and how it goes, might we learn that anything is possible when the Lord is the one who's sending you on the mission. So chapter nine, we begin in verse one. And then he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatever house, whatsoever house you enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. So we see here that Jesus summons the 12 to him and says, guys, I've got a a mission for you. But before he sends them on the mission, he gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. The word there, power, it's the word dynamis. We get a word dynamite from it. When you take the dynamite to something, it has the ability to do what you can't naturally do. And that's what the word dynamis means. It's the ability to perform a task, that supernatural power from God. He gave them that supernatural power to cast out demons and to cure diseases. He also gave them authority. The word there is our word jurisdiction. Whereas someone has jurisdiction over an area, they're in charge of that. He gave them jurisdiction over the demons. They could tell them to go. And over all diseases, tell them to go too. So, I mean, this is a unique power that God is giving to them for this mission. So now instead of Jesus being the only one who's doing this, 13 people will be doing these things, thus impacting more lives, right? 
I mean, you got these huge crowds coming, so now it's going to be impacting even more lives as they go out. And yet, that was not their mission. This was just the power they would need for their mission. Their mission is in verse 2. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. To preach the kingdom of God, the repentance and faith, the message that Jesus preached. He would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close. You need to get right with God. The kingdom is close. The Lord wants to change you. He wants to work in your life. It's time to get right with God. That was their message. God is near, and the time is now. And then secondly, to heal the sick. Now, that's a different word than cure here in verse 1. This word means to make someone whole or well. In other words, to give them a whole new life, to give them a whole new life. So that was their mission. Jesus gives us a different mission. We have the Great Commission. That's totally different, even though some parts are similar. But this mission here, the principle still remains, though. The same principle for us, even though the mission is unique. We are to meet the spiritual needs and the practical needs of people through preaching the gospel and giving compassionate help. That's what we're supposed to do. They met the spiritual needs of the people by preaching the kingdom of God. They met the practical needs of the people by healing the sick, by giving them new life. Now, why are both components necessary? Because if all we do is preach the good news of salvation and how you can be right with God, we don't show the compassion or the care of Christ. But if all we do is help people, then we leave them without real life change. We need to do both. So let's you know, have Calvary Chapel Orlando be a, a church that does both, Amen that does both. Now, while the disciples would duplicate Jesus's work, they were not Jesus. (laughs) So he gave them some rules so that they wouldn't misrepresent him, which teaches us an important truth. God never empowers us to run free in our own will. Never, never. I see people all the time. They'll say, you know, don't critique me. You know, God's given me this call and, you know, I've got to do what God told me to do. And I'm thinking, I don't see anywhere in scripture where God called us to do that. In fact, I see in Scripture where God told us not to do that. You're running free in your own will right now. God never gives us a gift. He never gives us the power to do something for him just to run free in our own will. And so Jesus gives the disciples three rules for their conduct on this mission. Number one, he says to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats, two pairs of coats, two coats apiece. Now, the word there, take, is interesting because like when we read in Mark, it says you can, he says you can take your staff. But the word take there is a little bit different than the word here. The word here means to acquire. It's the same word that would be used for withdrawing money from your account. Jesus, what he says here, because I, I, people have quoted these verses to say, none of us should own anything. We should just all be out on the street preaching the gospel. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. In fact, Jesus's command here has nothing to do with having possessions. These guys had homes. We're going to actually see them go to Peter's home. Okay. He had a home. We're going to see them later on in Luke doing that. So this had nothing to do with having possessions. They simply weren't to go back and go get any of those things for this mission. They weren't to go acquire them for this mission. They needed to leave right now. The need was great. And so the first part of their instructions were go immediately. No time to waste. Sometimes God gives us a general mission, a general call. Like he might say, he might put it on your heart and say, I want you to serve children or I want you to be involved in foreign missions. Okay. If God says, I want you to serve children, that might mean that he's going to give you a family, right? And that's your mission, your specific mission. And now he's just given you the general call. Or maybe the Lord is going to bless you financially so you can fund foreign missions, even though right now you just know you're supposed to be involved in foreign missions. In those cases, when you just kind of get the general call, you don't have to do anything right away except keep growing in the Lord and listen to his leading. But sometimes, like this time, 
God is very specific. And then you need to obey immediately. You need to go. You need to do exactly what he says. Too many times the Lord says, do this now. And we say, well, I'm gonna wait till I have enough savings, you know? Or I'm gonna wait till the situation looks more promising. Or we hold on to an umbrella just in case things don't work out, right? You gotta make sure, I'm gonna make sure this is here and in place so that if I trust the Lord and it doesn't work out, I'm still okay. Don't do that. It's funny, when I, I did something that I would not necessarily recommend doing, I planted a church at the age of 22. First Bible study was when we were 21, when I was 21. A lot of times I came back from Bible college and people were like, so you still got that full ride to UCF? Why don't you finish that just in case things don't work out? And then, you know, you've got something to fall back on. And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean I don't have, I already have something to fall back on. It's called underneath of the everlasting arms, right? If the Lord says go, you just gotta go. I mean, here's Philip. Here he is in the book of Acts. He's in this Samaria area. Revival's going on. People are getting saved. Miracles are happening. And the Lord's like, hey, uh, Philip, I want you to go down to Gaza where nobody is. Go down to Gaza where there's desert, right? And the Lord he went down. He didn't even know what was going to happen when he got there. No clue. That, we would call that reckless, wouldn't we? We would call that not very wise. Not, you're not planning very well. But he went down. He obeyed the call of the Lord. And while he was there, there was a chariot <laughs> driving by. And, and the Lord said to him, hey, I want you to, he didn't even tell him what to do. Beyond this, he said, I just want you to go up and start walking next to the chariot. You got to realize, dignitaries and chariots don't necessarily like people just walking up to them. I dare you to do that on the Trump brigade as they're coming through. Just go walking on up. You will say hi to the pavement very quickly. So, but Philip does it. He just goes and he's walking up. And as he's walking up, he overhears the guy's reading from a scroll of Isaiah. And he says to the guy, he goes, hey, you understand what you're reading? Because then it kind of becomes clear what the Lord's doing. The guy's like, I don't have a clue what I'm reading. Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip climbs up into the chariot, invites him to climb up into the chariot and he starts explaining the scripture to him, shares Christ with him. The guy gets saved. There's water down there. He goes, gets baptized. And then the Lord, you know, he's like, okay, Philip, I need you somewhere else. And so the Lord just teleports him somewhere else. Now that's a crazy story. Because if most of us were in that situation, and the Lord's like, hey, you know, I know this is good. I know things look great. This is like your dream situation, but I need you to go here. We'd be like, I rebuke you, Satan, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, we'd be like, that can't be the Lord. That's not God. But it might be. And if the Lord is telling you to go, you got to go. Weird. In Calvary, I'm not saying we've always done it right, but when, when they, at least when I was in Bible college, they would be like, well, you know, you feel called, go. And if it works, you're called. If not, you know, it's kind of like in, in the old days, you know, when they would try to find out if you're a witch. Like, you know, if you sank, you weren't. You died anyway, you know, you drowned. But if you floated, you were, and then they burned you at the stake. But that's what they do. They kind of just throw you out there. And if you sink, well, oh well. And if you swim, well, I guess you're called. And then you're in the fire. But that's kind of how it is. And I'm not saying that's the right way to do it necessarily. But it seems to me like these days, people won't even go unless there's a promise of having 200 people at your first service. It was so weird. I was reading an article about how a very large church that has lots of satellites throughout the U.S. And they were coming here to Orlando to do an exploratory service to see what the interest was. <sighs> Somebody needs to get saved. <laughs> that is not how we do things. You're either called or you're not. And you follow God's call or you don't. It's not exploratory. Let's see if it'll work. 
or, you know, you feel the God saying, go here. And you're like, yeah, but I don't know how we'll make it financially. I came, I had nothing. We came, we came here, started a Bible study and just said, this is what God's calling us to do. And, and you know what? I'm still here. 24 years later, I've never gone without food. Never not had a roof over my head. The Lord took care of us. Now, it was crazy at times, but the Lord took care of us. So if the Lord's telling you to do something, you know, you need to be obedient. Trust and obey. When they get to their destination, not only do you need to go immediately, but when they get there, the second set of instructions is they need to stay humble. And by the way, before we get into this, do not despise the day of small beginnings. You know, if the Lord calls you to something, you go, I don't really know if there's much promise in that. I've heard too often from people this phrase, God's got bigger things for me. I challenge you to find anywhere in the scripture any servant of God ever uttering those words. That normal Christian life is just not for me. God's got bigger things for me. You will never find that in the scripture. That is pride. That's not Jesus. What if God called you and said, I want you to go and I just want you to minister to this one person for the rest of your life and that's it. That's the only impact you'll ever have. Would you do it? Nobody else will know. In fact, you won't even know because they're gonna get saved after you die. Would you do it? You know, Stephen was a man who had a very short ministry. Didn't impact a ton of people directly, but he didn't impact one person. He died being stoned, and one guy was watching, a guy named Saul of Tarsus. And he could not get Stephen's, the look on Stephen's face, the faith Stephen had, the love for God Stephen had, the peace Stephen had as he's being stoned to death. Could not get it out of his mind. He's like, I don't have that. And he just, he raged. He went out and killed Christians because he, he just, I don't want to see that anymore. It was a mirror into his own life that something was missing. And eventually that Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle, didn't he? Paul the Apostle. Don't despise the day of small things and don't think, well, you know, I, won't, I got big things. God's got a big call in my life. I, I found that more often than not, people that have that mindset just hurt others because they think they actually have something to offer to somebody. We see in the next set of instructions, stay humble, which goes in line with this. Whatsoever house you enter into, he says, there abide and from thence depart. You know, hospitality in the Middle East required that someone host a traveling rabbi. If a traveling teacher came to your town, somebody needed to take him in. But many of those rabbis, they were super picky. They would push their way into more luxurious homes or they would complain about the meals. But Jesus, do you ever see him doing any of that? He was a blessing to others wherever he went, right? And he says, you guys need to do the same. He said, you're my disciples. You need to be a blessing, not a burden, wherever you go. Humility is interesting because it beautifies any person, doesn't it? It makes them more beautiful when they're humble, when they're humility, they have that. But you know what? Lack of humility is especially repugnant in God's servants. When you name Christ, or you say you're a Christian and you lack humility, it's extremely repugnant. The world in particular, they despise it. They have no respect for that. So can I encourage you, please don't be a picky, critical, or a step over other people to get what you want type of Christian. Be gracious, be kind, be grateful. Because the only thing we should ever offend people with is the gospel, which is the third instruction. He says, and whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. He says, go immediately, stay humble. And then he says, give them what for if they don't listen to you. I mean, is that what he's doing? We kind of get that idea. You know, you're at work and you, you know, you're trying to share the gospel with the person in the desk next to you. And you're like, man, how many times have you told me not, I told you not to tell me about that Jesus stuff? And you're like, oh yeah? 
I mean, is that what Jesus is saying? No, certainly not. The word there, to receive, it means to welcome. In other words, when you come and you preach, and as you're preaching, if no one invites you into their home because they don't like what you're saying, he says, then, I want you to leave the city. When, when you go out, shake the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. The Jews believe that passing through a Gentile city would make you unclean if you even carried a speck of dust when you left that city. So when they would reach the outer limits of that city, they would shake out their clothes and they would slap their sandals and stuff to get all the dust off there because they didn't want to be ritually unclean from being in contact with anything pagan at all. So they would do that as they would come out of a city. So it's something all the Jews knew full well what it meant. For the disciples to do this to a Jewish town, that's a whole new thing. Because basically what they're saying is we regard you as unclean, no better than unbelieving pagans. That's what they're saying. Now that's, whoa. <laughs> you know, you, you go in, you tell them, it's, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is closed. You know, we're here to help people, we heal people, whatever. They're like, get out of town, man. We don't want you here. You're like, okay, all right. Well, as you leave, they would do that and they would shake out their sandals and just go. It's not this rude thing. They would go, but what it would communicate to the city was they were just the same as unbelieving pagans. They were not saved. They were not right with God. Now that was a heavy thing to say to a Jew because in Jesus' day, they believed that you were saved just because you were Jewish. You, I'm, part of, I'm part of Abraham's blood. I'm saved. The only way that a Gentile could become saved is if they became a Jew. So they would have to get baptized and go through all these things to convert and become a, a proselyte, to become a, a Jew, a friend of Jehovah in a sense. So they believed God basically just created Gentiles to keep hell hot. To tell a Jew that they needed to repent was something Jesus had already been doing. John the Baptist had been telling them to get baptized, which was surreal. Jews don't get baptized. Why are we getting baptized? Because your old life needs to die. What do you mean my old life needs to die? I'm Jewish, I'm good. (laughs) And he was saying, no, you're not right with God. And the problem is, is that when people were hearing John preach this, they knew it, they knew it. And so they were coming in droves to be baptized, to get right with God, to repent. And then when Jesus would preach, the same thing would happen. People were getting right with God. So when they would be saying this, they're like, you're not listening. And if you don't want to listen, then you're no different than the unbelieving pagans. Just being Jewish isn't enough. You need to repent and put your faith in the Lord and follow him. The disciples, they were calling, by doing this, calling the Jews to repentance when they would leave. They were leaving them with this idea of repentance, something they believed they didn't need. But see, here's the thing. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody, if they don't respond well, you need to leave them with the concept of repentance, if I'm talking to somebody and they're just really turning me out and hard to it and ever, I'm not going to keep trying to say, yeah, man, but Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. And, you know, he died for you because they're going to go, I don't care. <laughs> Why would I need Jesus? My life's good. I'm fine. One of the last things I usually will say to someone, if they're that hard, that's not frequent, but if they're that hard, I'll say to them, listen, I, I can tell you you're probably not really interested in what I'm, what I'm saying, but I do need to leave you with this, that if you don't repent, you're going to perish. That's what Jesus would say. He said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. If you don't repent, you're gonna perish. If you don't deal with your sin, God has to deal with you. Now, you, if people are not listening, they're not responding well, you have to leave them with the concept of repentance. That was Jesus' third instruction. Go immediately, stay humble, and you must leave them with the concept of repentance. The disciples, they could have whined about not having their creature comforts. Why can't I go home and even get my walking staff, Jesus? It's important, it's immediate, you gotta go. But they didn't whine. They could have drew back thinking, I can't heal or I can't preach. 
But they didn't do that either. They obeyed. And look at verse 6. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Isn't that awesome? They obeyed, and the, and the word there went, it's in the imperfect, which means they just kept on going. They just kept on going, trusting the Lord to provide for them and to use them the farther they went. And what happened? God did awesome things. God did awesome things. I need to make something very clear. It says they healed everywhere. This is not a mission that has been given to us by Jesus. He has not empowered us to heal everyone everywhere we go. If that's the case, then we are the cruelest of all people to even allow hospitals to exist. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 20 that Paul left Epaphras sick at Miletus. Now, there's two things I know for sure didn't happen. I know for sure that Paul didn't go, Epaphras is getting on my nerves. I could heal him right now, but I'm just not gonna. I'm out of here. I can guarantee you that's not why he left Epaphras at Miletus sick. I can also guarantee that, that Epaphras and Paul, neither of them were lacking faith to, to heal him. It's just a matter that God had a different plan for Epaphras at that time. I don't know what it was. It's not my job to figure it out. But unlike these guys who in this specific mission, and please don't hear what I'm not saying, I believe in divine healing. We lay hands on the sick. We anoint them with oil. I believe that. I trust God for healing. You know, I don't just sit there and go, and God, you know, help the doctors, whatever. I'm like, no, God, do something supernatural. I pray for that. I ask God for that, and I trust God for that. But I also realize I'm not the healer. He is and I'm not God. And he has not given me a mandate that I can go wherever I want and lay hands on anyone I want and they will always be healed. I don't have that mandate. The Bible says, and I believe it's Second Peter, it might be First Peter. No, it's First Peter 4, very end of First Peter 4. It says there is a suffering according to the will of God. There is. You cannot dispute that. So please don't let anyone ever tell you and go, this is our mission. It is not our mission. This is their specific mission for these six verses. We have a different mission. Now it says, these signs shall follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. That should be happening. But it doesn't mean that every single where place we go, we can just choose to pray for whoever we want and they'll always be healed every single time. We don't have that. They did have that this time. Brick talking about that does bring up an important question. Are you and I being faithful to the mission that God has given to us to go out and make disciples? Or maybe God has given you a specific mission. Are you being faithful and obedient with that? Or maybe, maybe you've never asked him what your specific mission is. Today would be a good day to do that. Well, verse seven. While they're doing this, it says, now Herod the Tetrarch, this is Herod Antipas, one of Herod the Great's sons. He's the one that wanted to kill Jesus. When he died, his kingdom was divided into four parts. That's what the Tetrarch means, four parts. And Herod Antipas was given control of the area of Galilee. And that's the area where all these healings are taking place. And when people are getting healed like this, news is going to get around. And so Herod, he heard of all that was done by Jesus. And he was perplexed because some people were telling him that, it, well, it's John the Baptist. Baptist come back from the dead. Others were telling him, well, Elijah has appeared. That was a, a prophecy in the Old Testament that Elijah would come back before the great uh, day of the, of the coming of the Lord. And so it's Elijah. Jesus is Elijah come back to do these miracles. And others were saying, no, it's one of the old prophets risen from the dead. Well, Herod was a, a bad man. And so he knew he, he was concerned about any of those possibilities. So he's thinking to himself, John, I have beheaded. It can't be John. And people don't just come back from the dead. So he was thinking, it can't be John. But who is this guy of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. He goes, I want to figure out what's, what's going on with this guy. Who is he? He wanted to see him. This is Luke's very short account of John the Baptist's murder. 
The other gospels actually tell us the full story of why Herod murdered him. Here it just says he beheaded him. But I think the significance of why Luke brings it up is because remember back in Luke 7, John sent his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, are you the Messiah or what, man? Should we be looking for somebody else because this dungeon's getting, getting bad? I, I'm your cousin. I'm pretty sure cousins get messianic priority. And Jesus had to tell him. He said, go tell John. I'm doing my job. But John, you're not getting out. This is how your race ends. And then the disciples went back and told John. And so here we see that John finished his race well. He finished his race faithfully and obediently. His job was done. Now, may the same be said of you and me. We have been given a mission by God to go into all the world making disciples of all peoples. It is our job to be faithful to that call. And while we may feel inadequate for the call, we are never alone in executing our goal. God empowers us with His Holy Spirit to do all that He asks of us. No matter how big or scary the task, God is with us and will complete what He has started. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.